1: Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1399, (laughs) 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 entitled Mortar and Hammer, and I'd be mortified if I didn't explain that to you in a second. Our podcast title is Pod Ahead, and I am, no, not mortified, I am Rob Jan. I'm Megan McHugh. And we are going to be talking about a movie that's dropped on Netflix Mm -hmm. called Spider Head, which is all one word with no hyphen Mm -hmm. and got nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, except for the fact that it stars one Chris Hemsworth in it. (laughs) So I will explain why I use the title Mortar and Hammer right now, because you use a mortar and pestle to mix up drugs and stuff and and then uh, turn them into pills and all that kind of thing. Mm. And in this case, it's Chris Hemsworth, so hence The Hammer.
0: Ah, uh, I see. Was it worth the
1: trip? I don't think so. <laughs> and that- the movie's a trip, though. Exactly. So let's talk about Spiderhead.
0: Yes, so this one caught my eye because uh, Netflix does like to sort of premiere these things and give you a bit of a run-up too. And I think because um, everyone loves a bit of Chris Hemsworth, they – advertised this to me and so it caught my eye and I said, Rob, let's check it out. So Spiderhead. Now, it's streaming on Netflix. It's directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Now, he's crossed my path of late because he has also directed Top Gun Maverick. Oh, really? which uh Which, yeah, screened into theatres recently and I've been across to visit it and I won't spend too long because it's not sci-fi, fantasy nor historical really, but I had a ripping good time so I was very much... Uh, willing to have a look at this vehicle, knowing that Kasinski had also directed this, and he's helmed Oblivion mm-hmm. with the aforementioned Tom Cruise and Tron Legacy as well. So I like Tron Legacy. I thought that was an- yeah, yeah, it's a bit of bit of an interesting mix there, isn't it? I think, um, but he clearly has a bit of a liking for a bit of sci-fi, a bit of action. So and you'll see that he's overlaid those interests onto this film. I'll tell you a little bit more um, about the plot in a minute, but it is written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. I want to say Wernick, but it's probably Wernick. Now they're um, two writing partners and they've helmed some um, Zero-G faves. So they've written Deadpool 1 and 2, Zombieland, the space sci-fi life, which kind of flew a bit under the radar, I haven't seen that one. And I have of interest. Oh, and how was it? It's not bad. It's not bad. It yeah. ends strangely, but it's, it's a decent little film. And what's of interest to me is they're attached to an upcoming Clue project based on the board game. So hmm. I'll I've got one eye uh, firmly fixed on that one, but. Anyway, onto the film. So Spiderhead. Now, the premise we're looking at is it's basically it's a near future and it follows um, a group of incarcerated. Well, no, it really follows one main protagonist. And he's incarcerated in a facility where instead of, you know, serving his time in a traditional jail or prison, uh, he's a medical subject, basically, <laughs> a human guinea, guinea pig and a various kinds of drugs are being tested on him but they're not your ordinary drugs because this is a bit of a sci-fi vehicle so a range of different drugs that affect people's actions feelings and perception and that's introduced pretty quickly at the start of the film Uh, things get a little bit interesting it's not everything is as they seem so obviously this is raising some very interesting concepts And it's actually based on a short story written by George Saunders. So the short story is called Escape from Spiderhead. It was published in 2010 in The New Yorker. So Saunders, you may have heard of, he writes um, stories, essays, articles for publications like Harper's, McSweeney's and GQ and The New Yorker. Now you can read the short story online that Spiderhead is based on. And I did actually um, read that before the show. So Saunders, Saunders has also written the Booker prize winning novel, Lincoln in the Bardo, which, um, was a really interesting novel and it sort of takes place within the, like the between life and death and it follows Abraham Lincoln after the death of his son, um, as he works through his grief, but it's not really about, it's kind of a bit more weirder. (laughs) It's weirder than that. So anyway, that's probably what Saunders is most well known for. Um, but yes, one of his short stories has been adapted into this film by the New Yorker studios, and it was picked up by Netflix for streaming. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So, yeah, Netflix has come along and liked what they've seen and then had a hand in producing and bringing this, um, bringing this for streaming.
1: And the book gets uh, waved in the air at one stage in the – in the film.
0: Yes, one of Saunders' books is featured a little Easter egg for you. I thought that was quite funny. In a bit of an um, incongruous scene, too, like, you know, they're working off a little bit, have a bit of a giggle there, too. Um, so, and it was also filmed in Australia. It was. It was filmed, so,
1: yeah. And there's a reason for that because Chris Hemsworth has signed a deal with Netflix to produce four movies in Australia. Ah. ah. That's very interesting. And this was the, Good on this him. Was the first one. Um, Interceptor doesn't count. That's a different Netflix deal. And there's three more to go. And it's rumoured that one might be a sequel to Extraction.
0: Oh yes, very an unlikely success. Extraction, I think mm. that did quite well for them. And it did so. Um, should we play a bit of a track before we talk a little bit about who's getting experimented on? Yeah. Uh, what What should we play?
1: Well, I reckon we'll go with Acknowledge, which is what they have to say in the prison when they are agreeing to each particular part of the experiment. So if you want to have, um, uh, if you allow them, if you give consent to have the next drip of drug put into your veins, you say acknowledge. You can't say yes or affirmative or anything else. It has to be that for legal reasons. And this is by Joseph Trapanese and the London Contemporary Orchestra. And it's from the soundtrack of Spiderhead. He's a sick man. This is where
0: sick people come. Zero G is fun, as you were. All right.
1: That was the track Acknowledge featuring Tonality by Joseph Trapanese and the London Contemporary Orchestra. It's Spiderhead's soundtrack, a movie that's dropped on Netflix that we are discussing now here on Zero G.
0: Yes. So right away you'll recognise a couple of the cast I'd wager. front. First and foremost, we've got Chris Hemsworth, as mentioned. So he plays Steve Abnesty. Kind of, uh, he's getting a bit of a brand of this kind of jocular but vaguely sinister um, fellow, bit suave, bit of a genius, likes to boogie, um, but he is also helming up these rounds of experiments on these inmates. And so we get right away a sense that he's very much in control, making the rules, and uh, yes, how ethical or unethical are we going to go down this journey? Now, our the person we're latching on to here is uh, Jeff. So Jeff's played by Miles Teller. Uh, we've seen him before. He is in the new Top Gun Maverick. We've seen him before in the failed Fantastic Four adaptation. <laughs> and he's also starred in Whiplash with J.K. Simmons and a couple of other dramatic roles. So he's kind of the everyman that we're following. He's in this facility and we kind of jump straight into the action as we see some of these experiments Um at some of the different drugs that Jeff has been uh, helping them test. So we also have, of course, we need to have a little bit of a love interest. So that is Lizzie played by Journey Smollett. Now we probably recognise her mostly from the Harley Quinn film Birds of Prey and uh, she looks quite different here and sadly no singing from her, unfortunately, but she plays another inmate uh, or I don't know whether to call them inmates because you really, you get the sense I mean, being an inmate is part of their backstory, but they're really just swanning around inside this facility. Yeah, it's a, um, it's an
1: open prison in terms of you can wander throughout the facility at will. There are no locks within the place, and this is part yeah. of the <laughs> reason why people want to participate in the experiment. They they refer to them all of coming from a place called state, you know, upstate or wherever. There's no real. Um, Identification of where you actually are. It's this isolated facility on an island, on a beautiful island, and obviously because it was filmed in Queensland, they've just gone somewhere, and done something like that. And because of that, this this is a highly desirable option for people instead of being in a in a normal prison, you know, which is not much fun, <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah. In, oh no. <laughs> in, in spite of all of the movies, where in spite of the television show Porridge and any other comedy movies set in a prison and you know so yeah. yeah it's it's a place to be experimented upon but it's kind of a soft option or is it
0: yes well that's the question at first you know we see inside the facility as you mentioned from the outside it's this kind of gray and brutalist uh structure and you do get the sense it's a very contained film it takes place mostly inside the um the control room or the spider head where we see it, there's some observation rooms there where the experiments take place. So it really takes place there because this film is quite hinged on those experiments and you do see other parts of the facility. So once we get inside, it's kind of this angular, kind of like the inside of a space station, like what they want you to think a nice space station experience would be. The sets um, seem quite nice. It's a very seems like a pleasant enough place to spend time. You see people kind of doing recreational time, doing puzzles. There's arcade games. There's ping pong. So you get a bit of a mood that, um, oh, this isn't such a bad deal. Um, But as you mentioned, Rob, it it comes with some strings.
1: The prison looks like it's been 3D printed too. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And, of course, because we're set on this island, you've got the opportunity to go on field trips outside and anytime you're beginning to feel claustrophobic as a viewer you sort of get flipped outside to see this wonderful landscape and seascape and
0: yeah uh, yeah and it's it's interesting i think there's there was some hints where i thought maybe they were going to lean into a bigger story or yeah. maybe some some further, you know, like, did you get those hints a bit where you're like, oh, you know, what's happening on the other outside Mm. the island or, you know, are we going to learn a bit more about the origins of the facility or back? But it it really stays a character piece. um, And it really stays quite close to the core plot, which is that of these experiments. And so you do start to get the juxtaposition of this comfortable living, quote unquote, mixed with these uh, pretty, they vary from being um, fairly innocuous experiments that you'd probably be okay to partake in, and then some pretty hair raising horrific um, uh, concepts where you think, "Oh would I sign up for that? This is really pushing the boundaries here." So you realize a bit about that exploitation, and the film's pretty eager to push push it push the plot along to really start to hammer those notes home. It's very much a psychodrama
1: and some of those points that you were making there, I have a feeling that they're kind of emphasised in the short story as they're kind of tropes for the author of the story that this film is based on.
0: Yeah, so what I thought was pretty interesting when you kind of look at the film, obviously for Hollywood, you're going to want to overlay a bit of extra action. They've fleshed out some storylines and actually... um, there's, well, there's some dialogue that's verbatim from the story. I would say the story has quite a different tone, which is unsurprising. But, And I think also the film makes some things a bit more grandiose. But the core concept of kind of human free will in a way, I think, remains. And also this idea of... Um, yeah, this experimentation, this medical subject, human guinea pig dynamic, which is kind of the the whole centre of of the theme. And Saunders actually worked; um, he used to write reports for scientists oh. who were doing drug testing. So he has a background doing this kind of not doing the work itself, but maybe writing up afterwards uh, the result of some pretty um, full on medical testing. And he's obviously funneled some of those ideas about. Uh, medical testing and how horrific things can be boiled down to some very perfunctory language. He's kind of funneled that into this. And you can see that even more in the short story when they talk a bit about these different mind and emotion altering drugs in quite a blasé way. Um, I think the point that's being made there is like, this is actually a big deal and these people don't see it as a big deal anymore. So I thought that was quite interesting, but The film is obviously much more black and white thematically. You've got good quote-unquote guys, you've got bad quote-unquote guys, and, you know, I think it dilutes the characters to make that suit. So rather than our Jeff and Lizzie being these dyed-in-the-wool criminals who we might, uh, you know, be appalled by them and, you know, really raise some hairy questions, they they make them – water them down and they make them full of remorse. They show us that they're good and they just, they made some stupid mistakes, pretty bad, but stupid mistakes. So I thought the movie backed away from Mm. actually some really interesting moral questions. One of the
1: things I noticed was that they honoured that old sort of trope in prisons you don't say, what are you in for?
0: Yes,
1: yes. That is a, a thing that gets revealed along the way and it's part of the, Story arc as well, so they actually uh-huh. played quite carefully with that up to a certain point. I was actually thinking while we were kind of circling the actors there. Nathan Jones plays a character called Rogan, the guy who holds up the copy of yes. Saunders' book. He's a an Australian actor, powerlifter, strong man, and former professional wrestler. And he's done lots of things. I first saw him in the movie Troy, where <laughs> he plays the I think the the big champion of uh, an army at the start. His name is uh, Boagrius, and um, uh, Brad Pitt's character Achilles dispatches him with one thrust of the sword from above. You know. <laughs> but I've seen him in lots of different things. Like he just keeps appearing. Like the Scorpion King, and uh, Hobbs and Shaw, and Mortal Kombat. and he's going to be in one of the uh, in, in Furiosa, the next. Uh, Ma- oh, Mad Max, Mad Max film so just a shout out to him it's just wonderful that he's just getting all these roles but he actually has served time in prison so just speaking of people who've had some experience within the environment and and bring something to it and by gosh he sits there and you just go I don't think I'd be very chuffed having to be in the experiment with you but you know.
0: He has some funny lines, though. I think they play off the uh, his his appearance. Does he have all those tats? No, he wouldn't have all I, those tats. I don't in real know. Life. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he may do now. He may do now. Mm. But yes, you do get a little sense of some of the other people that are also at the facility. I mean, we're really not delving. I'd actually argue that we're not delving very much into character at all. <laughs> we get um, a boiled down version of what some people are in for, but. And we get a little bit of a nasty, um Chris Hemsworth's uh Steve past trauma. Steve Jobs like persona. Mixed Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. And he's and,
1: actually Hemsworth, I think he acts his little heart out in this. He he nuances his way through it. And, you know, there's a lot of they they just casually have him exercising and Mm-hmm. boxing and you know he, he it's obviously they're trying to sort of say well this is a guy who keeps fit as well he's a bit obsessive yeah. about that and i like the way his character plays in this it, it reminds me a little bit of other roles where he's not necessarily playing thor you know yes but, uh, bad times at the
0: el royale i thought of that too i real there's some shades of that Similar character, quite not as far, but you're right. Where I think it's that mix of kind of surface fun, surface lightheartedness, but actually, he's doing quite a good job of having an underlying, uh, really kind of serious depth mm. there of darkness, really. So,
1: although it's you feel like it's supposed to be Jeff's film as the as the uh. Mm. the focus is upon him. I actually feel like it's all on Chris Hemsworth. You know, he just just stars throughout the whole movie.
0: I agree. I think I really like Miles Teller and I have before all of this. I mean, he's got a lot of new Top Gun love, but I've always liked Miles Teller, but this is not his best work. He's pretty flat. I'd say Jeff doesn't have much personality. I wouldn't even say I empathise with him that much despite what they try. You know, they've included flashbacks. He's, you know, he's got lots of crying scenes, lots of, you know, terror and upset. But I never felt that Miles Teller sold that to me. And I think even reading the story, I felt that Jeff had so much more character and wryness and interestingness um, in a much shorter span of time and through much less. I mean, Saunders is a fantastic writer. It's a very good short story. Highly recommend it. But Teller just doesn't reach any of those heights And it's a bit of a shame, to be honest, because I think the film would have been so much better if that Jeff character had really been richer. So anyway, that's my that's my thoughts on that. But um,
1: so to speak, I wasn't feeling the chemistry in the love story of it.
0: It felt quite forced, didn't it? I mean, she's she's lovely, very charismatic. uh, But I felt their interactions were pretty rote like they just literally you could see them thinking the lines um which is a shame which is a shame well let's have another
1: track now from the soundtrack of spider head and this is blinded by science i mean why not featuring tonality again and they're the people who are doing all of the now what's the word for it Vocaballs. That's the word, and uh, sort of singing in the background, but speaking speaking letters and words, and this is by Joseph Trapanese and London Contemporary Orchestra. This is Robin Williams created the science show, and you're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. Yeah, blinded by science. There, featuring tonality from Joseph Trapanese and the London Contemporary Orchestra. Spiderhead soundtrack there. Mm-hmm. Now that automatically makes you think of the Dolby hit from the 80s, She Blinded Me With Science, and they actually do play that in the film, mm-hmm. And you know, because Chris Hemsworth's character, Steve, Dr. Steve, mm-hmm. is a bit of a, a dancer. Yes. And the last, a joy is yes, the last person we saw from the MCU who was a dodgy doctor dancing was Sebastian Stan in Flesh.
0: Yes, of course, fresh, fresh,
1: fresh. fresh, You know, it's all (laughs)
0: it's all the same. same, Actually, under the (laughs) wrapper, you're still scarred by that (laughs) one. I I was like, Rob, it's just a little a little indie horror thing, no biggie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I think overall, Spiderhead. I'm glad that I saw the film before reading the story. Uh, I do think they're quite different beasts, obviously. The story is really about the helplessness and humanity of an everyman, whereas the movie is about a hero. It's grandiose in setup. There's reveals, quote unquote, which don't really exist in the story. And there's a big conclusion, uh, and it's about love, whereas, um, you know, it it's all those Hollywood things they've added and there's action and thrills and so on. So I get it. Um, I know why they've done that. I actually think it's an interesting adaptation.
1: There's also a, a fair streak of good humour through it too, which yeah. which is a very laconic feeling. I mean, you would know that this was uh, made by Australian crews. It's just, it just <laughs> feels like that. You know, there's some silly jokes in it and a bit of mucking around and, and, and and you need that actually in it to, to lighten things up. I love the sets. The sets are great. Yeah, a hundred percent. It felt like it felt like some
0: designer home, you know, an architect designed house. Yes, you're so right. And I think even some of the touches like in Steve's um quarters, there's some couches and things and there's a lot of thought put into this is yeah, a really curated environment. So I actually feel like they were
1: in ex machina territory there Mm -hmm. and and maybe a little bit of fresh too because that takes place in in an enclosed environment Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i thought they did that very well i i I didn't believe it as a a prison until i realized what was going on and i thought oh yeah this Mm -hmm. makes this all makes sense i won't go into that and so there's many good things about it i think chris hemsworth's performance is terrific and he does have some pretty good again chemistry with mark His yes his colleague i thought that worked mm-hmm. quite well and there's some good cinematography in some of those scenes um at one stage they're sitting in the spider head the control room that looks over the experimental room the lights mm-hmm. are off in the control room but the lights are on in the experimental mm-hmm. room as they clean it mm-hmm. they're silhouetted against it and there's a conversation going on between Mark and Steve and one of them is in half shadow. You know that mm. classic well I'm having a a bit of a moment here and I'm not quite sure yeah. you know that sort of thing. So yeah. there's a lot to a lot to like about this film. It's not probably the biggest budget in the world.
0: No. But there's is- again like like Interceptor Uh, It uses it wisely in that it's contained setting. There's actually not a lot of characters in it, so it's very tightly kind of filmed and scripted and becomes much more about the plot and story because we're really just focusing on these experiments and the moral implications and all that ethical biz uh, without having uh, a little bit of grandiose stuff but not much, not much special effect. I didn't feel
1: that they spent quite enough time giving us the feels for the secondary characters agree and I thought the ending was a little bit pat
0: Um, very rushed as well yeah
1: I they did actually sketch in reasons for why it turned out that way and I do pay that Mm. you know because otherwise I'd be left wondering well that seems like a bit of a a strange turn and then I thought oh no they actually set that up I'll give them that that and I felt maybe the script felt a little bit undercooked is that a fair thing
0: I totally agree. I think it didn't fully explore some of the more interesting areas. I think some of the character interactions, sometimes there's some great scenes. Other times I could have used a lot more about some of the relationships. Um, I think it just fell a little short in quite a few crucial areas, but it still was doing, I agree with you, I enjoyed it. I still think it did some good stuff. And there were some interesting scenes that were quite tense, mm. but yeah, it didn't quite live up to what like an ex Machina stands out in so many ways because of its challenging, and there's action, and there's character, and story, and there's emotions. Whereas I think this didn't have all those things to as much of a degree as you want Mm. um, Mm. if they're they're going for this kind of concept.
1: Is this the curse of Netflix original movies? I've heard this a couple of times. I don't buy into it or anything, but, you know, a movie that's good enough to watch but not quite Mm. good enough to go long distance.
0: Yeah, well, I guess because Netflix picked it up to distribute. So, I mean, it could have gone to any other distributor and maybe had a cinema release. It's not a Netflix original in the sense of having Netflix producing it from the start but I think you're right in some ways it's like we've got a lot of these middling quality films that are enjoyable enough to watch on streaming because you've already got it but would I pay to see this in the cinema no I probably wouldn't hmm.
1: yeah but it's still a, it's still a reasonable bit of entertainment I feel you know so yeah I I, agree. I wouldn't go hell yeah <laughs> um, I might just say acknowledge.
0: i'm with you on that i think it was good enough i enjoyed it enough um i really liked the story um so do look that up escape from spiderhead is the name of the george saunders short story uh i think it's not the worst adaptation in the world but it didn't do enough differently to really strike out and it didn't stay true enough to be really a thoughtful piece Mm. so Tried to do too too many things, I think, and didn't quite nail any of them. So, I
1: do think that the soundtrack was one of the highlights. So we'll go out from our discussion with that. Agree. Uh, not okay. only did it have this um, uh, Joseph Trapanese soundtrack, but it also had a lot of pop hits and just thrown in there. The-
0: Yes, the uh, music soundtrack in terms of, like, existing music was great. Definite good vibe there. I think uh, Kaczynski has a bit of an attention to that, so I liked that.
1: Described by Chris Hemsworth as yacht rock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he would know, wouldn't he? He would. So let's have a a track called Redemption, and again from the Spiderhead soundtrack.
0: Hello, my name's
1: Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number 7. And you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on 3 triple R, FM. Hmm. I hope you're feeling redeemed after redemption from the Spiderhead soundtrack, Joseph Trapanese and London Contemporary Orchestra, and you'll hear that on the movie Spiderhead, which is available on Netflix right now. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Now, the... So, ABC recently ran its Classics 100 playlist, a curated by vote audience poll translated into a weekend's worth of most popular tracks. Now, the theme was screen sounds, expanded this year beyond movie scores to include television and video game music. And beyond Star Wars coming in at number one, Zero-G has an interest in what kind of genre representation the numbers seem to indicate. So, uh, science fiction with Star Wars at number one of the 119 were in that genre. In the top 10, we had two science fiction, Star Wars and Jurassic Park, four fantasies, Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. and Game of Thrones. Oh. In the historical area, we had four, Schindler's List, The Mission, Chariots of Fire, and Out of Africa, all quite vintage films now in a way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's understandable because it means you get multi-generations voting hmm. for them too. Yeah. Um, only one in that top ten were television, and that was Game of Thrones. And speaking of...
0: I mean, that's a ripping score, though.
1: And speaking of games, there was no games in that top ten. Oh. Now, overall... Um, there was the uh, the large number of science fiction ones, uh, 19 or 18, something mm-hmm. like that. I was surprised that no Star Trek was represented in the top 100 because they did mm. have that in their voting list and it probably yeah. got into the top 200, but I haven't explored that. Yeah, uh, 30 were set, uh, were historical films, which is to say, uh, or pieces, you know, set, set in times before the contemporary times they were made in. Not how historically accurate they were, because because Braveheart got in it. <laughs> mm. Of the fantasy items 25 in the top 100. Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit were there, so Howard Shaw got double dipped.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, only two horror movies, which was Psycho and Jaws.
0: Oh no, oh, okay.. Yeah.
1: Of the animated pieces, there were nine. Okay. Uh, three of those were scored by Joe
0: Hisaishi, of course. I was going to say, it's got to be Joe yeah. and his work with Studio
1: Ghibli. Yes, yeah, so it was Totoro, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, you know, what you'd expect. There were 16 television shows. So this new category sort okay. of helped out a bit. Uh, you know, amongst the Game of Thrones, there was the uh, BBC's Pride and Prejudice, Inspector Morse for some reason, uh, oh. Head Revisited and The Simpsons, and Foyle's War, which... Surprised me because I'd only finished watching an episode of that the night before, and I didn't even pick it. <laughs> now Hans Zimmer got about nine entries. Uh, some parts mm-hmm. were series and franchises and collaborations, but you know, mm-hmm. which meant that Christopher Nolan, as a director, uh, well, his films were the most well represented because he's a frequent flyer with Zimmer. Gotcha. Yeah, now this is a change. This is a, a bit of a sea change from previous uh, film theme ones that they had. John Williams came second with the most entries after Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And then you had your mm-hmm. John Barry, uh, Van Gellis, Danny Elfman, Bernard Herman, Patrick Doyle, uh, Mike Cherkino, and mm-hmm. Ludwig Godenson with the Mandalorian.
0: <gasps> even- such a I'm so pleased, that's such a good score. And even
1: Nigel West Westlake from Australia was represented too, so I thought that was good. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. There's so many of the ones in the top 100 are genre of one sort or yeah. another. And it's nice to see that they've included uh, games and television shows yes. too. It's really livened the mix-up. Well, enough talking about another, tel- another radio station. <laughs> <laughs> but you've you got to note these moments as pop cultural milestones in history, I think, because it just shows you how popular the stuff that Zero G covers is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 100%. And the reach and the diversity as well. Like everything you just mentioned, we've got such a range there. There's so much great stuff. No wonder we've got our work cut out for us every week.
1: Exactly, exactly. All right. Now, I believe we were going to play another track now. Yeah, let's go with not The Mandalorian, although, you know, I love that so much. I didn't really think much of the main title theme from Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I do like the Leia Organa theme. And this comes from, um, a, a, you know, a couple group called uh, Planistec. And this is an, an epic version of Leia Organa's theme. Hello, this is Paul McGann. I play the eighth incarnation of the Doctor, and you are listening to 3 Triple R F M. Yeah, that was Leia Organa's theme from mm-hmm. Star Wars: Obi Wan Kenobi. Planastek or deck sorry, was the artist there from a single that's called the same thing. So, <laughs> yeah, she's running through the forest in that one on uh, Alderaan. So she's nice little track. So she's an also also ran through Alderaan in that one. Now uh, we were having a look at uh, Star Wars. Obi Wan Kenobi. We've been sort of cycling through this, or <laughs> or uh, land speedering through it as it's been reeling out on Disney Plus. Look, I'm kind of not feeling the love for the show at the moment, in spite mm. of some really good performances, mm. a, a winning sidekick, and you know it's been five episodes now, so you know the sidekick is like little Leia, little Princess Leia. Yes.
0: Yes, we can reveal. You should know already, but yeah. it's it's
1: better than the prequels. But that's a low bar.
0: Yeah, we're not saying much there. But I think again, it's that trap of existing canon. Yeah. You know, like it's so closely tied to that core storyline. I think that's where they go. They go off the rails, or not enough off the rails, I guess. Well, the chapters
1: seem a bit repetitive and mm. a little bit shallow. And the em- mm. the empire, and this just cheeses me off. It's, it's particularly inept. You know, it's yeah. not really a
0: threat, as, and you're losing that sense of impending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if you, if it's all a bit low stakes,
1: and, and frankly, just how many times does Obi Wan get to escape? You know, it's like as many as needs be. You know, <laughs> it's yeah,
0: like, because yeah, it's a bit of shallow plotting, I guess. Well, no real. Well, of course,
1: he's protected by continuity armor. Now that now that I know, which is way better than yes. a dual case plastic that the stormtroopers wear for, for cds you know it's just the most fragile material in the universe and he can't die because he's got to die in star wars a new hope now i know where this is placed in the
0: yeah wacky
1: continuity Jeez, i thought star trek was bad at times with all their time travel and stuff but this just takes the cake made out of the blue milk now of course the biggest missed opportunity i think in the whole series was when leia could have said take me to your ladder and she does not, and I just thought, yeah, that's just typical Star Wars. No style when it comes to dialogue, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but I, I really do um, praise the performances. You and McGregor, he's mm. got, he's so, he's got such uh, PPTSD, which in this case means um, post prequels traumatic stress disorder. You know, no, but when he, he he's. Really, it's impacted upon him to know that Anakin Skywalker is still alive and has become Darth Vader and it's all on him and he should have checked. He should have finished him off, you know. He should have.
0: Yeah. Those feelings got in the way. Yeah. And it was cruel too. Maybe he really,
1: really hated Anakin. (laughs) I've got to let you live. Yeah. Yeah. And – You know, but I think he's great in this and he plays, he's not quite there as Obi-Wan because he wouldn't be. It's 10 years since he fought in the Clone Wars, Mm. you know, since that Order 66 wiped out most of the Jedi, but never enough of them from the Empire's point of view. No. I love Moses Ingram playing third sister, Mm -hmm. one of the uh, Inquisitors. She's driven and really quite a, a force in this, in fact, a little bit more scary than Darth Vader at times. And you know what? I actually like Hayden Christensen playing Anakin Vader in this.
0: Yeah, yep. The
1: actor's bulked up so he can fill out that armour. And yep. he's actually a presence too in this. And if I'd seen the all in this sort of up-to-the-moment mode in those prequels, mm. I might have liked them better. But, you know, yeah. that's what it was. Uh, also, I've liked to hear James Earl Jones again voicing Darth Vader because, of course, that's that's his gig. We've all seen yeah. the Big Bang Theory. We know how that works, you know. And every, you know, Joel Edgerton and Jimmy Smits and so many uh, amazing performances in this. And and I particularly, of course, we all love uh, Vivian Lyra Blair playing Leia Organa. She's mm-hmm. the baby Yoda of this. Yeah,
0: stand out like even from the early. I'm not. I'm not up to date, but the early episodes I watched. Great energy, and I mean that could have been such an annoying precocious character mm. and she is but in a very charming way and that's lucky <laughs> from the sounds of it there's a few other things that have fallen flat but the performances are great or
1: lukey as the case may be <laughs> and that does make me wonder um grant feely plays uh, luke skywalker so he's like a young luke in this mm-hmm. seen mostly from a distance but you know we
0: also get some stuff not as much to do
1: do you, do you think that like in 20 years' time when he's grown up or something, he'll play Luke Scott, you know, will they...
0: In, it, yeah, uh, episode 100 or whatever that they're trotting out at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, like um, what this, they'll have been passing it so finely they'll be... They'll be down to uh, The Adventures of Greedo, the guy who Han Solo shot in the cantina. <laughs> you know, like,
0: I reckon that's closer than you think. I don't think we're going to have to wait that 30 years for that one. I've
1: been right about that before. Back in the very early days of Zero G, last century, we joked about the next book in uh, the Pern series, Anne McCaffrey's uh, books. We We thought it would be called like Dolphin Riders of Pern. and indeed that is what happened Uh, so you know don't want to joke too much about star wars because they'll make it so
0: they've got a lot of irons in the fire with star wars stories because that taika T stuff is getting spun up and there's there's lots going on who knows
1: but at the moment i'm i'm feeling like i'm watching because of that that strong character looking after the younger character yeah. Who's precocious? I feel like I'm watching The Mandalorian without the armor. Yeah. Yeah. Which for me is just not where it should be. <laughs> so, yeah, so look, I I'm sure that this is setting the, the uh the Died in the Wolf Star Wars Died in the Wookiee Star Wars fans hearts aflutter because there's a lot of stuff in here you're thinking about this this is really a big deal. It's like mm. when they when Luke Skywalker turned up in The Mandalorian, you know. Uh, although I think that was played way better. But, you know, it is interesting to see Vader being as brutal as he's supposed to be. Mm. I'm not I'm not going, yay, brutal Darth <laughs> Vader. You
0: know? But you're like glad they're, you know, leaning into it. Yeah. What a thug,
1: really. What a thug. <laughs> I, I think about it and I go, you know, and at one stage he says, uh, Obi-Wan says to him, what have you become? And he says, what you made me. And I think, yeah, okay, partly, physically, yes, <laughs> but. You brought that on yourself and other people. Exactly. Other people in the Star Wars universe have been modded with prosthetics and so on, and they haven't gone on to be evil overlords.
0: Let us take responsibility for our actions. Mm. Exactly. I don't think we can keep scapegoating, can we?
1: But certainly, you know what? Don't scapegoat Hayden Christensen for playing Darth Vader. He does it well.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting. I'm... I'm. I applaud that he came back to this role because he got a lot of heat. I think so. Good on him for <laughs> unintentional, but I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, he's got balls. He's got stones to come back to this.
1: Just remember, <laughs> Megan, the floor is lava. <laughs> oh dear, I'm quite overcome there. All right, no. So we will say adieu to that. I have yet to watch the final episodes. So I'll be interested to see how it lands all right yeah. so we are going to go out today since we're talking about rebels why not play mm-hmm. rebel Re- rebel uh, our bowie track of the week and this is actually okay. by joan jett and the black from mm-hmm. their flashback album so yeah rebel rebel until next week thank you to our podcaster kayla larson thank you megan thank you rob joe bernetti coming up next with astral glamour